Hi, everybody. Um, thank you for having me. I know Makar, I've served with Makar, so anything he asks, I always wholeheartedly say yes to. Um, although it's, he's a tough act to follow, so be patient with me. Um, today we are going to learn and discuss, as we have, uh, a lot of tools and resources for your marriage, right? So uh, some things are gonna jump out at you and they're gonna resonate. Um, I was sitting in the back, so I uh, ask you, make a mental note, write things down. Resist the urge to go like this, right? Because you're here to learn for you. You're not here to fix your spouse. You're not here to change your spouse. Take notes for you, okay? Because you're really the only one that could do any work on your marriage. This is what I tell all the couples that come to my office. Um, the only person that you have control over in your marriage is you. So keep that in mind, please. Um, hopefully by the end of today, you will have heard some best practices to, for your marriage that are gonna last for a long time. Um, first things first, okay? God is the author and designer of your marriage. He designed marriage to be your most important human relationship. Takes um, precedence over everything and everybody else. Um, this October, actually, Kareem and I are going to celebrate 20 years of marriage. Um, I'll save you the math. I was only 10. <laughs> plus, plus. Uh, anyway, so I'm thankful for all of it, okay? We share three amazing kids um, who also have their moments. Um, but I'm thankful for all of it, the highs, the lows, the peaks, the valleys, all of it. Because we both consider our marriage something to constantly work hard for. Because marriage can be hard, let's, let's be honest. So sometimes it's really difficult to love someone who on a few days you don't even really like, right? I mean, the, there's a picture painted about the power of effective uh, communication, saving marriages. Yes, it can help, right? Hopes and romance. And even some of my well-meaning Christian friends say they have this power, they, there's a power of date night, that there's a power of couples Bible study. But I'll tell you in my experience, in the 20 years I've been married, these have all been very helpful tools in improving my relationship. And they should all be practiced all intentional parts of our marriage, but they've never once alone saved it when we've been in that valley. Because in those difficult seasons, romance is the last thing on anybody's mind. So instead I turn to prayer, always, because that's who can save me. So, God, so I ask God, have mercy and on me, help my memory stay long and strong for reasons that I forgot why I love this man. The little things, the big things that I don't remember today. Help me stay anchored in you as my strength in this marriage. And he never fails to answer me. Because I struggle like anyone else. <clears throat> when I'm asked actually to speak about uh, Christian marriage, I have to admit that sometimes I kind of feel like a fraud, honestly. Because I fall and I fall and I don't always put into practice what I teach. I'm a work in progress. It's hard to reconcile all these ideals when you're hurt. So we fall a thousand times 
and we get back up 1,001 more times because all we have to remind ourselves that God is continually molding us in his image. And we live in a world that despises the sacrificial side of marriage, of family. The message we receive is to strive for power, control, the upper hand in a relationship. We're fooled into thinking that love is about doing what makes us happy, right? And the second we feel less than happy, we're encouraged to bail or to stop investing. But that's all wrong, all of it. Because the more we give, the better we become. Real love is not self-seeking. It's always gonna cost you. It's gonna cost you some comfort. It's gonna cost you your pride. It's gonna cost you to lay down your life for the life of another. And only those who learn to die to themselves are the ones who get to experience the resurrection power that comes with it. And that resurrection is into real love and a meaningful relationship. I'm still learning to be strong, not bossy, to be sensitive, not a pushover, to be vulnerable, not ashamed. So for my kids, and I have three of them I shared, I hope that they remember the truth they learn inside the sanctuary of our home. That tenderness isn't weakness, it's strength. That love is not a feeling, it's an action. That marriage is not romance alone, it's faithfulness. So at 20 years, I'm thankful that God is faithful when I'm not, that he hears my prayers and that he loves my marriage. And what I will be most thankful for, what has saved us always, is his response to all of my prayers. And it's always been to rain down his grace on me, on my family. He wants us, more than the two of us put together, to last. It's been grace, that beautiful, countercultural, unheard of in Hollywood, missing in so many marriages, that undeserved favor towards one another that allows me to love him when I can't remember why, that allows him to love me when I'm not very likable. So when I work with a couple, this is a fun fact, um, I ask them to write down some things in their relationship that they wanna work on. <laughs> Without fail, the majority of the husbands will write down a very brief, short list of grievances instead of goals, right? And it usually reads critical, complains, withhold sex. And then the, the, the woman, the wife, she's categorized like five sheets front and back, on and on, run-ons, and, and then the guy just sits there and goes, see what I mean? Uh, you know, it's, it's very common. So the promise is that your sin is not special. It's really good news um, because God says there's always a way out of sinning. That means moments of our marriage where I would prefer my husband to do something in a different way or say something in a different way, where I want him to already be perfectly sanctified in a particular area, I don't have to sin I don't have to sin in response. I don't have to get sinfully angry. What do you guys see here? Like, take a look. I know our ancestors, but what do you see here? 
We all have a little pharaoh in us, by the way. <laughs> yes. What else? Supporting, encouraging. Yes. Zigo, yes. All, all very good points. What else do you see? Oh, money. I'll take some money, honey. Yeah. What else? All right, I'll give you a hint. Look, shoes. Look at the shoes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love, I actually love this. I have it in my office. So what does that mean? Even Pharaoh. What do you guys think that means? Just say it loud. Scream it out loud. Yes, that's harmony, right? Taking each step together. Being in sync together, right? Side by side. Through our weaknesses, our differences, God blends them all together. They're not hindrances to achieving God's purpose in your marriage. They're actually tools, like Makar said. Tools to teach us to trust in him and his goodness. So maybe people's weaknesses are hidden strengths, right? I want you to think about it this way. Maybe people are impatient because they are punctual. That's me. Um, maybe they're indecisive because they're flexible. See how your perspective really makes a difference? Kareem and I, my husband, are very different people, okay? He's a thinker. I'm a feeler, I'm a doer. He's a stuffer. I'm a spewer. But I, he, I throw out the instructions that come with anything. He keeps them, reads them from cover to cover, and then saves them later just in case. We have personality traits that drive each other nuts sometimes. But what we've noticed is that if we've not been as intentional about checking in with each other, about connecting, as we should, those little differences become very annoying and will lead to conflict. However, when we make the effort to connect, we have a greater tolerance for those things. So it's easy for my husband to see where I need to change. We all have our list, right? It's easy for, for him to see where I need to change because he knows me better than anyone else because I'm, I'm un unplugged with him. So at the core, my true self is a sinner like everyone else in need of a real savior. I also have insight to my husband's sin, but we have to stop pointing fingers because we have to remember that God's plan for my spouse is better than my sanctification plan for my spouse. Even if I think I'm right, I would have Kareem punctual and always on time. I would have him, you know, super reading powers, read my mind when I'm hungry and I have no idea what I want. I, he'd be perfect, but that's not the way it works. So, um, universal truth about the most successful couples. What do they do? Can anyone tell me? I'm sure you guys have heard this. They pray together, yes. But universally, 
even those who don't know God, right? What the most successful couples put one another's needs ahead of their own. But that works best when God is in the center. So one another's needs ahead of their own with Christ in the middle, leading us. So we're going to talk about dying to self. Dying to self is a painful privilege, something I'm still working on, right? We all long for intimacy. We are wired to connect, to find and stay connected with that one person who knows us and who truly loves us deeply. But our natural tendency has been always towards selfishness, pride, traits that weaken our bonds together, and they lead to distrust and isolation. Dying to self, however, enables forgiveness. It helps us demonstrate the fruits of the Holy Spirit. I actually heard um, something really beautiful. I read, I read it about forgiveness. I want to read it to you guys. If someone slanders you, pray for them and give alms for the sake of Christ, who prayed for those who persecuted him. Then let the offense go. You need your heart hands free to do good works. You need your fire to light up the world. I mean, how beautiful is that? Because being angry is a punishment we give to ourselves for someone else's mistake. God made him who had no sin to be, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God calls us to emulate him and lay aside what we think are, we might deserve in, off, in order to offer love, mercy, grace in, in our marriage. My pride tells me to focus on myself and my wants and my feelings. If this is left unchecked, your spouse is going to feel it, and this, this leads to resentment, right, and conflict. Dying to self is more painful than we think, but it's also a lot easier than we think because we really don't have to always have things a certain way. If we put one another ahead of ourselves with Christ in the middle, we can let go of some of those things. Sure, our spouses can make different choices than what we want, but at the end of the day, God desires him or her to make better choices, way more than you do. So when you die to yourself, humility and submission become a lot easier. There's no, there's no power struggle. The point of dying to ourselves in marriage isn't to be miserable. The point is actually to love better. God gives us spouses that we need for our salvation. Be responsible for yourself. Remember what I said in the beginning? Focus on you. There's clear constructs to God's word of how a husband and wife should treat each other. I'm not going to be held accountable for what my husband does or doesn't do, but I will be held accountable for what I do. So being married is this amazing picture, picture of Christ, his church, and his sacrifice. It's also one of the most difficult processes that people go through throughout their marriage. And as Christians, we can be tempted to keep these hardships of marriage a secret. This is why I love services like this. But like, like a surgery, almost, that cuts you open and makes you a whole new person, a better person, a healed person, Marriage is the process of being cut open and being sewn together as one with another sinner. 
I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, dying to self. God is calling you to love and worship and serve him first. And his plan for your life is better than your own. So are we married folks, married friends? Are we honest with ourselves? When things are hard in our marriages, are we seeing the picture of the, how the gospel applies in our hardships? Are we humble enough to admit that we're sinful in our marriages? Because be res being responsible for yourself is knowing that you are being perfected in his image. As I say to some that walk through my door and really ready to point fingers, clean the mirror first. The rest of the house can wait. I, I love this because this is, this is marital harmony, right? St. John Chrysostom gave us a beautiful understanding of marriage harmony. Through marriage, the kingdom of God becomes a living experience. I've actually heard marriage called the theophany. Whenever two people are married in the name of Christ, they become a sign which contains and expresses Christ himself. So we see the purpose of our marriage is to discover perfect love, and that journey of discovering perfect love is what leads us to our salvation. In many ways, it's like a road. It starts out from the earth here, and it ends in heaven. And it's this journey of love that we are transformed by Christ's love, when we encounter his love. You know, when I do these talks about marriage, a lot of, uh, and I describe this path and stuff and how the church understands it, many people kind of scratch their heads and say, like, this is not how my marriage is. Because we hear so much, we read so much, maybe even see so much. And some of you perhaps today here are experiencing some discord in your marriage, which is the opposite of harmony, right? And let's define it. What's the opposite of uh, a marital harmony. Let's think about the factors that lead to it. Because there's always discord in one point or another in all of our marriage. When we act out of our own self-centered ways, that's when it happens, right? When we stop putting one another ahead of ourselves, when we don't die to ourselves. The invitation of marriage is choices we have in the face of our struggle. I can respond in kindness or I can respond and tell him I'm right, right? There's, I noticed a book out there, uh, Love and Respect. And basically the book says, men need respect, women need love. And we are in, in this crazy cycle. He calls it the crazy cycle. And someone has to decide to get off the crazy train. That's it. Because that's, that's what we need to do. As I work with couples, I realize that every one of us enters marriage with expectations. What is it, what it's going to be like, what, what uh, marriage is going to be with this person that I married, expectations from comparing, from images, whatever it is. This nurtures self-centeredness in the way we live. And all of you know what the biggest struggle in marriage is, right? What do you guys uh, hear? What's the biggest struggle in marriage universally? Mm-hmm. Yes. The biggest struggle in marriage is unmet expectations. So when we go in and have these expectations of how everything's going to be, it leads to a lot of disappointment and a lot of resentment. And then we get caught on that crazy cycle. These types of expectations 
leads to disappointment. A sense of entitlement. I deserve this, I expect this. This is poison in marriage. Entitlement is a type of selfishness. If you view your marriage as about meeting your needs and satisfying your desires, that person's gonna feel it. Marriage is not going to fulfill your desires. It will transform them. Marriage doesn't make you happy. You have to make your marriage happy. Transform those selfish desires from getting what I want to walking in his divine love towards wanting the same thing that God wants. That's true marital harmony. It's tempting at this point when you discover maybe, you know, your spouse is falling short of your expectations, is slightly different than what you wanted. And this is not what I agreed to when I got married. People tell me this regularly. It's tempting to sort of turn away from your spouse and start to point fingers. But this, I think Makar touched on this, nothing will ever show you how selfish you are, how broken you are, like marriage can. He is one of God's, this is one of God's ultimate ideas for revealing to us his need for our need for him. Sorry, I can't, I can't read it down there. How couples handle seeing their own sin will determine the kind of marriage that they have. Because we as Orthodox, we know that it's a gift from God to see our sins. It's good that we see our sins because then we repent. So in this process of working with couples, I help them to understand that, yes, you're seeing something that's real. But the invitation is to turn towards God and love your spouse with all their imperfections. Um, you all know, you've all been crowned. Um, actually, 20 years ago when I got married, um, I, it was in St. Mary's, East Brunswick. Ever, anyone been there in New Jersey? Yeah. Okay. Um, I wouldn't have surely put our heads together, but we both went in too fast, too furious, and we clunk, clunk, <laughs> made such a sound. And it actually, uh, you know, relieved some of our nerves because we all laughed, the whole church laughed. And Abuna uh, said, "Matchabatush fabad awimin awilha kila." He predicted that first year of our marriage. <laughs> so, the sacrament of marriage says that two individuals shall become one. One of the prayers in the crowning ceremony reads, "Crowns of glory and honor." Blessing and salvation, joy and happiness, virtue and justice, strength and stability. Abuna crowns the newly married couple as crowning them in spiritual glory in their new church. We all have our own churches, right? Yoke them in oneness of mind. Crown them into one flesh. So this oneness means being one mind operating as one. These crowns are symbols, crowns of martyrdom. As Christ died for his church, we die to self for one another. They represent the couples giving their lives to each other through Christ. I, I urge everyone to reread this once in a while, especially when you're struggling. There's no more his or hers, it's all ours. Oneness means us, one. Oneness means that it's more important to make decisions together. So in fact, it's those unilateral decisions that can tear at the intimacy of marriage because they're the breach of that oneness. Couples regularly will come to me and say, she made that decision without even consulting me. He did that when I wasn't okay with it. For that oneness, 
is what we participate in. It's a gift from God, and we have to remember that. We turn away from our selfishness and turn towards him. Our commitment to marriage is our commitment to Christ. If we think about it this way always, especially on those tough days, it's a wonderful and illuminating insight into the sacrament. When we think about martyrdom, right, we think of dying to self, dying to my selfish ways. God can change you for sure, but you have to turn towards him. You have to allow him in. This daily martyrdom looks like being patient, being kind, being gentle, listening, sharing. Couples come to me and I have the guys say, you know, I take a bullet for my wife. Okay, so why can't you take the garbage out when she asks you? <laughs> What's the big deal? <laughs> See, how we respond makes all the difference, right? It's this beautiful martyrdom that promises healing, not just in the kingdom, but in our marriages today. It's going to force us to face our pride, our selfishness, and our entitlement. We have that choice. So where does being happy fit into a successful Orthodox marriage? You hear people say all the time, well, he makes me happy. He doesn't make me happy. Or I need to be happy. Or I want to be happy. Or I'm not very happy, right? God's goal is that you're happy in your marriage. And the happiness comes from freeing yourself up of those selfish desires. So like Makar said earlier, it's the wife sometimes... I know I do this. I confront to connect, right? Do you guys find yourself doing this? And some of the guys check out because it's too much, right? They ignore or dismiss. And actually, the checking out and the ignoring and the dismissing feels like physical pain to the person being ignored. So we have to find a way to come together and trust God in our marriages, because he gives us the spouses that we need for our salvation. A friend of mine once told me this, and this is beautiful. God allows everything into our lives for one of two purposes, either to bring us into a relationship with him, or if we already know him, to make us more like his son. We find the greatest comfort, I think, in Romans 8, 28, in those first three words, and we know. And we know is not maybe. It's ironclad certainty. And we know that all these things work together for good. As long as we live in this world, we're always attempting to, to reconcile God's sovereignty with human suffering. So verses like 8.28 assure us that no suffering is wasted. He's always at work for us. So we have to just rest in the security that he's in control of our marriage, of our family. We just have to invite him in. But surrendering is tough to do, right? So uh, we could go further and say 8.37 tells us, In all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us want to live in victory, want to thrive in your marriage, then it's time that we start thinking like one. Because your mind is the most powerful and creative tool that God has given you to shape your reality, to influence your life. So we're more than conquerors. There's nothing in this world that can trouble us more than our own thoughts. 
Yet most of us just allow our thoughts to happen. We rarely pay attention to what we're thinking about, let alone take authority over our thoughts. So here's some ways that we can begin to tap into the power of our mind to shift our focus, like we talked about earlier, um, and to live in the abundance of Christ. We have to watch our focus, because what we focus on, we empower. If we focus on negative things, we empower negativity in our lives. If we focus on selfish and carnal things, we empower our fallen nature. If we complain and criticize and focus on how everything is so unfair and we're in a difficult situation, we're not helping resolve this issue. Instead, we're actually empowering more frustration, more anger, more bitterness. When we choose to focus on the kingdom, then we empower the love and the light and the life of Jesus to fill us and flow through us. I love this. I know we've all read St. Paul's letters countless times, but it's still, it's still incredible to me that he wrote these from prison, okay? It, it, he was locked up in the most awful conditions. I mean, deplorable, I'm sure. Not sure if he's gonna live or die, yet he wrote again and again about things like joy, rejoicing, eager expectation, the privilege of walking with Christ, hope, peace. Near the end of his letter, he shared how all of this is possible by choosing what we focus on. So by deciding what we think about, by filling our minds with thoughts that are true, honest, pure, lovely, good. Like we talked about earlier, our spouse is the amazing person that you married. Focus on the good not all the, the misery that's come in between. Remember what it is that you love about them and their qualities. <clears throat> if you focus on all the things that are wrong, guess what becomes of your physical state, right? If we focus on all the things that are right, that's gonna become our state of mind. Let heaven fill your thoughts. Let's look at another passage in, in the epistle. Uh, to the Colossians, Paul again talks about the importance of what we allow our minds to be filled with. Since you have been raised into new life with Christ, set your sight on the realities of heaven. The more we allow our minds and our thoughts to be filled with these truths, the more we will see them made manifest in our lives. Allow the Holy Spirit to renovate your mind. Now, what does this mean? So I, I really hope you're understanding the power of your mind. Because you might all be realizing that at times, like I do, we let our minds be filled with negative thoughts, with self-defeating thoughts. Maybe it's dawning on you that when you've gone through these struggles in your marriage, your response has too often been to complain or to, to turn away, as opposed to something looking for something truly good to focus on. Here's the good news, right? Through In this verse, we see that can all change today. It can change now. In Lamentations, it promises that the Lord's mercies are there for you each and every day. Again, just have to invite him in. You are so much more powerful than you realize, so we need to harness that power and live in the fullness of God. But so many of us, 
are looking for fulfillment where it can never be found. Possessions, maybe recognitions, maybe a praise from our spouse, maybe a well done from somewhere. But here is why we never feel fulfilled, because we never can find it outside of ourselves. This is God's design, okay? All the joy and happiness that we can ever hope for is actually within you now. And the truth is that you don't need anything to complete your life outside of us other than the way he's designed us. There is life-giving, transformational, mystical work that requires constant pursuit with Christ. There's no magic formula or the fairy dust that Christina referred to. It's him. It's your relationship with him. We do not need this or that to be happy. When we outsource our, our happiness, we will never be content, okay? So, I, I, you know, sometimes we find ourselves saying, Dear God, I'll be so happy if I can find a husband. Dear God, I'm not sure how much longer I can take this man, <laughs> right? You have to look within yourself and trust that God's always working within you, even if you don't feel him. My mom uh, is constantly whispering to herself. So if you sit next to her for even 10 minutes, you will always hear her say, uh, Thank you, God, for everything. Always. She thanks him in every condition, good, bad. She reminds herself to stay in gratitude. So we're, we're like living magnets. What you attract in your life, in your marriage, is in harmony with your most prevalent thoughts, okay? Through my practice, I'm finding that fewer people are taking responsibility for their lives. Less and less people are mastering their emotions. They don't uh, run their lives. They allow life to run them. Problems are blamed on everything and everyone else, but they don't take responsibility for some of the things that they can change. Does life happen to you or does life happen for you? Then the answer that you give that question is gonna shape your life. What if every painful experience was actually sent to benefit you, to make you stronger, to make you wiser? What if that challenge you're facing was sent to make you more confident? What if that difficult person was actually sent to teach you something, compassion, patience, a reminder of how not to treat people? What if the loss you experienced was sent to make you appreciate what you have more? The truth is that every single one of us decides how we're gonna live and how we view it. We all decide what meaning we give to each moment in our lives and we do not decide what shows up. We decide how we show up. So we don't decide the circumstances. We decide how we're going to respond to those circumstances. There's like what, over 60, 70, 80 people here, all attending the same seminar, listening to the same speakers, seeing the same slides, but each of you are likely gonna take something away that's different. It's the same event, but your interpretation and your perception, the meaning each of you gives this is different. The point is that we decide that meaning. It's our decisions it's our decisions in our marriage, not our conditions that control. I believe in hard work and then letting God deliver the order. Achieving anything in our lives is never easy, anything good, right? Anything of significance. 
If we do not believe that God put the power in us to overcome difficulties in our marriage, then you're at the mercy of your circumstances. A reasonable life can be achieved by anyone. Okay job, okay relationships. Honestly, anybody can have these. But if you want to live a full life, you must commit to leading a full life, doing things for the glory and honor of God. We realize we cannot change each other as much as we try, but we can change ourselves with God's grace. Happiness is there if we choose to focus on it. So be the good that you wish to see in your own marriage. Let it flow out of you first, and then it will flow back to you. So are we full-time happy Christians? How grateful are we for those things that are seen and unseen? Happiness can come if we practice it like anything else. It could be one small positive thought in the morning, one prayer of gratitude. It could change your whole day. Uh, our mornings in our house are chaotic. There's no time for anything, let alone to actually really pray together as a family. So I taught the kids, before your hit, feet hit the floor when you get out of bed, I want you to say, thank you, God, for everything, and kiss the inside and outside of your hands. They start their day with gratitude. Our physical health and our emotional well-being are directly tied to our mental health. So joy and laughter are healers. The negativity and the stress that it creates is a destroyer. Everything does not fall into place and then you become happy. You have to find that happiness and peace first. So I'm gonna repeat this again. Marriage doesn't make you happy. You have to make your marriage happy. The happiest people have the greatest spiritual wealth. The outlook you have in life and the effect that you have in others are the most valuable currencies you possess because everything we gain is gonna turn to dust and all that will be left of us was what was in our hearts. We're all facing the same struggles, the same doubts, but God knows every situation. He knows every marriage. He knows our fears, our doubts. He designed us to be joyful and happy, and he created our marriages. So put it back into his hands. When we die to ourselves and yield to the Holy Spirit, God's unifying healing and restoring love's through, love flows through us, leading to a strong and thriving marriage. So this is, this is my favorite line in the liturgy. Fill our hearts with joy and gladness that we too, having sufficiency in everything, may abound in every good deed always. So focus on him. Thank you.